Um, what I'd like us to do this morning is uh, slightly bridge the gap between Chantel's preaching last week, which uh, if you are not here, uh, I would wholeheartedly encourage you to uh, listen to it on our podcast. It was absolutely stunning. And uh, she, in the midst of what she spoke on last week, she really uh, spoke about presence and the presence of the Lord, and the presence of God. And uh, I'd like to sort of bridge that gap slightly this morning as I talk about God's presence as a father to us. And I, I really, really want to talk a lot about the father heart of God to us this morning, uh, but also to really raise the bar and champion uh, us fellas this morning. If ever in culture and society there has been a need for fatherhood, it is right now. And that video right there, like I'm, I get quite emotional at times and uh, I, I'm just reading those things and just thinking, it gets me, it really gets me. And it really gets me actually for those who just need a father figure. I look around our town right now and I'm like, I see young'uns or, no, what do you call them, weans. That's what you call young'uns, Wean, weans. Well, I tell you the story, Chantel didn't know that it was weans. She thought like me that we just, you called them wanes. Like every week it was called Wayne. But it's not weans. Some of you didn't know that either, did you? You thought they were Wayne's too. So, but I, you, you look around and you're like, oh, mate, you just need someone speaking into your life, guiding you, loving you, all of that good stuff, which we're going to talk about. I realize that for many of us actually in the room that this very subject is, uh, is a potential source of hurt and of pain uh, because of our natural father figures and yeah, I would encourage you that it is the place, a place that we must go and we must journey in order to find who our true, loving, heavenly Father really is. And without further ado, I would like to introduce to you a friend of ours, and he's a familiar face to you, to share his story. And then I'm going to pick up and uh, teach a bit from the scriptures. Uh, but Sergi, uh, Mark as his real name is, uh, has quite a story, and I'm just going to hand over to him to, uh, to take it over. So you're a little bit nervous. You're usually behind the guitar. I'm missing the guitar. So, uh, but anyway, mate, go for it. Wow. It's amazing what the difference a guitar makes. <laughs> um, yeah, so people know me as sort of the guy who stands up the front and tries my best to sing a little bit. Uh, my nickname is Sergi. That's not my real name. I'm not Russian. Um, <laughs> my name is Mark, believe it or not. Um, you can stick up the first picture. And this is my dad. Uh, this is Kritoba Garcia Anea. I'll say that again for those that missed it. This is Kritoba Garcia Anea. He is Spanish, um, and I'm half Spanish, for those that don't know so, because Northern Ireland aren't in the World Cup, I'm supporting Spain, <laughs> hence my red shirt this year. And the one thing I can successfully say about this guy is, I don't know him. I do not know this man at all, really don't. Let me give you a brief history of me. 1975, a young student nurse, my mum, disappears off on holiday to Spain. 
She goes with a group of friends from the Royal Belfast Hospital for Sick Children. They arrive in Spain on a Sunday evening, and most of the group of girls decide, okay, it's a Sunday evening, it's our first holiday. My mum's 17, by the way. Let's go to Mass, as you do on your first night in Spain. <laughs> so most of the girls went to Mass. My mum, <coughs> being from a slightly different culture, decided I ain't going to Mass, I'm going to a nightclub. Walked into a nightclub on the Sunday night, not speaking a word of Spanish, with one of her friends who came with her. About 15 minutes into that, a young Spanish gentleman walked up to her, put, her, put his hand out, and that, as they say, is that. That started a three-year relationship, which in 1978 ended up in me. Now, picture it, the 70s in Northern Ireland wasn't exactly a great time. Um, Spain was just coming out of a dictatorship as well, Franco, uh, so it was a very different culture than it is now as well. And everything happened all of a sudden. My mum got pregnant at 21, my dad was 19 at the time, and they thought, is this going to work, is it not going to work, and it wasn't. And that was it. They basically ended the relationship. Thankfully, my mum, who went back to her mum and dad, said, look, I'm in this situation, can you help me out? And they did, and they kept her at home and decided to help bring me up. So I was born 2nd of May 1978, so I'm 40, just, unfortunately. Um, I grew up in a house with my mum, my granny, my granda, my two aunties, and my uncle. That was seven of us in a three-bedroom council house in Glenvarna, in Glengormley. It was great fun, but I had no dad. My granda left when I was very young. Uh, he wasn't a great example. He had a few affairs, and then left for another woman. My uncle, who was 15 when I was born, was an alcoholic, um, so he had issues. So I had no real father figure in my life growing up. And while um, people tried, my mum and my aunties and my granny tried, I had no father. I didn't know what a father was. And the best thing was, I always said it never affected me. I'd, you only miss something if you had it. So I never had it, so I didn't know what it was like. But when I look back now, I realize that I did miss things. And what did I miss? Well... Sport. Anyone who can tell by my physique, <laughs> I'm a rugby player. I'm actually a rugby referee now, but I used to dream about the fathers on the side of the pitch and wish mine would be there. I never had that. I think my mum saw me play rugby once and referee once when I refereed at Ravenhill. Never had anyone to teach me things. Never had anyone to show me how to shave. Just had to sort of learn that myself. Um, I knew a lot about women's issues because there were so many in the house and they used to tell me all those, but never really about <laughs> men's things. And I, I grew up in a, my granny was cool. She sort of took me to church and I sort of had a few friends, but there was one guy, a guy called Ricky Wright. Does anyone know Causeway Coast Vineyard? He is the, what's his title now? Chief Executive of Compassion, I think, is his title now. He's heavily involved in Causeway Coast and he was a great friend to me from the age of three years old. And he dragged me along to church and got me involved in things. And at the age of 12, I became a Christian um, at Spring Harvest, believe it or not, a long time ago. And he brought me along. But I used to hear things like, how great is the Father's love for us? He has lavished it upon us. And I was like, no, nah, can't relate to that. No idea. The song we sung this morning, thanks, Mel, wherever you are. Thank you. Good, good father. No concept of that of all. I don't know what a good, good father is. I've never had one. I... I struggle with it every day, but still in my heart, as I grew up as a Christian, I said, nope, that hasn't affected me. I don't need to have a father. I've got everything else I need, and it was only really when I came here to this church and worked a bit with Paul 
I really realized that not having a father had a massive effect on me. And it was only when I look back and see that now I can see the changes that could have happened had I had a father with me. But I also reflected on the good fathers I had um, who weren't actually mine. So Ricky Wright's dad, if anyone knows Ricky Wright, um, his dad was a real authoritarian figure. I think for the first 25, 30 years that I knew him, I still called him Mr. Wright. Uh, I think I've only called him George in about the last five or six years. Um, but he was an amazing father, really good disciplinary, and brought his children up strictly in the word, and it was amazing. And I have to look as well, as where my wife's going to go. Her father, um, to my father-in-law, we've been together since we've been 18, so I had a good example there. I have never seen a man who would do more for his kids. He has five children. He, used to he lives in Port Stewart, works in Monkstown, and used to drive that every day. And on a Friday night, drove home from work, picked his girls up and took them to Bangor for gymnastics or took them to Lisburn for a swimming gala. Thought nothing of it. I have never seen anyone do that. I would be far too lazy. Sorry, Eve, who's sat in for this. <laughs> I've had really good examples around me, and it's only when I look back now I, I can see those examples of father. Sorry, I'm going to turn the page. Um, but I really had to take what I had as a father and realize that it affected me. And what I did with that is I took that to God. And Paul and I worked through this a number of years ago, and I was still at the stage hasn't affected me not having a dad. And Paul said, no, let me tell you, mate, it has. In the most loving and kind way he could, he said, it really has affected you. And I had to take that and look at that and look at what the heart of God is. Look at God the Father and learn what God the Father is. What I had to do was take my baggage to the cross, but I had to leave it there. Quite often, I like to pick it back up and take it back with me, but God taught me to leave it there and walk away from it because it was dealt with. And it never had to be dealt with again. Now, I do want to end on a sort of downer. I want to end on a good note. About three or four years ago, my mum came to me and said, I'll find someone on Facebook. <laughs> All right. He's got the same name as your dad, and it looks like your dad. All right. Let's see what happens here. So me being me, I'm kind of feet first kind of guy. Ad friend. <laughs> Let's see what happens. <laughs> Hello, are you my dad? Yes, I am your dad, in his Spanish that I have to translate in Google English. So the story goes on. Just take up the next picture. This is my mum and dad. <laughs> this was taken last year. Uh, my mum's been over a couple of times to see him. My, mom, my dad's married. He's now on to his second wife. Um, he married a Spanish woman and had two kids, and now he has married a, a Russian lady, and uh, they live in Spain on the south coast. And uh, this is my mum. She's gone and stayed with him a couple of times. And I have a sort of communication level with him. We talk occasionally. He doesn't write English very well, but he speaks it very well. And this year, in about five weeks' time, we're all off to Spain to meet my dad. That's who we are. Um, and that's part of the process that I have to go through that God has been working with me in. And I think he's, he's nervous. From what I hear from mom, he's nervous that I'm going to hold something against him or judge him. But I don't. He's a 19-year-old guy, so he was when I was born. That's amazing what he must go through. And I try and bring all this back to being a father myself. So I'm trying to pick the best bits of the good examples I have. As you know, one of my kids has decided to sit in here just to hear this. The other one, <laughs> thank goodness, didn't. Um, and I really don't know. I'm making it up as I go along. Um, everyone says the first child, you're lucky to survive. Well, really, you are. The second one, you sort of know a bit more. 
Um, but I'm making it up as I go along. But I tell you something, when she plays hockey at home, I'm at her hockey matches because I never had that as a dad. I try to do stuff with them. I am a bit lazy. My wife keeps me right on that. Um, but I'm trying to work through what God wants me as a father to do and be like. And hopefully that's been a bit beneficial for you this morning. So good. Well, well done. So courageous. So brilliant. What a redemptive, incredible story. And whilst I, I agree to a certain degree and making up as you go along, you're not. There's, uh, you're following the footsteps of people that have influenced you, that have been father figures to you. And whilst I agree with the words that came up on that video, there's no life manual or instruction manual. To a certain degree, we agree, but in other ways, we don't agree. He's given us of his word, and that's which we turn to right now. And I, I want to look at one verse. It's a really well-known verse. It's in, um, well, not just yet, uh, the book of Zephaniah. And uh, those of you who know your Bible, you'll know which verse it is already. But before we get there, I would like to just very, very briefly set it in a little bit of context. There's three chapters in the book of Zephaniah. The first chapter is all about God's judgment. It's all about how we have strayed, mankind has strayed from the ways of God. And God is going to bring great judgment and uh, justice and punishment and all this kind of language as you read through the first chapter. But then in the second chapter, there's a slight change of tone where it begins to explain, but if you would just turn from your ways, then God will be just and will be gracious and will be loving and will be kind. And then it comes into chapter 3 where it, for those who do turn and for those who do um, get themselves together and turn in the direction towards the Father, He will love them and will be their God and will be their Father. And in many ways, you know, it's, a, it's the narrative of the entire Bible. It's the narrative of the whole of mankind. God created us in his image to have relationship with him. But we continue to rebel and stray from him. And he cannot reach us when we are got our backs turned, literally. But if we would just but turn, which means which is the word repentance, if we would just but turn and come back towards the Father, then he will come and forgive and heal our land. It's the whole message of the book. And so we find the verse, the standout verse um, in Zephaniah 3, and it's verse 17. And I'm going to read it in two translations. The first is from the message, and it says this, Your God is present among you. A strong warrior there to save you. Happy to have you back. He'll calm you with his love and delight you with his songs. And then from the NIV, the same verse. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. 
With the time that we've got left, I want to look at five key points from this one verse. And with each point, I want to help us to understand the posture of God the Father to us, his children. And with each point, what I want to do is try and reflect slightly and urge and encourage those of us who are fathers to act out of that posture with God the Father, that out of that posture that we would act and respond as fathers to our children. The five points are that he is with us, he is there to save us, he delights in us, he calms us or calms us. Is that how you say it? Cam. Through the cam and through the storm. I can never sing that line. It's through the calm and through the storm. (laughs) Celebrates us with songs is our fifth one. I can't believe I just sang in church. That was a solo. That was my first ever and last ever. (coughs) So here we are. He is with us. When we pray and when we gather together as his people, he is with us. He is present. And this is what Chantel spoke so brilliantly about last week, was the presence of God. Oh, but we need his presence. When he is with us, everything changes. God the creator is with us. He was present with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was present when Moses went before Pharaoh. He's present when Joshua led Israel into the promised land. He's present when Esther went before the king, when Gideon fought the Midianites, when he spoke through Isaiah, when Daniel entered the lion's den, he was present. When he came, a baby born into obscurity, he really was present. He's present upon the cross, resurrection day. At the day of Pentecost, he poured out his presence through the person of the Holy Spirit. Present as the gospel was spread, the kingdom came and churches were planted. He was present when he formed you in your mother's womb. He was present when you came out of your mother's womb. He was present when you learned how to walk and talk. He was present when you were terribly wronged. He was present when you first fell in love. He was present when you entered the courtroom, when you made your marriage vows, when you graduated. He was present when you went into hospital to have that operation. He is with you. He is with us. He is Yahweh, present amongst his people. And I've used this phrase before, and maybe if I get time, I'll, I'll say it a bit later. We would do well to practice his presence. And it simply means this, just being still. Be still and know I am God. Being still, it is a very difficult, challenging discipline in our modern day lives where everything is crazy busy where we attend to the drug which is about what two inches by three inches in our hands that we press we heard recently maybe two three thousand times a day 
to just simply be present to the presence of the Father in our lives. So how should we, of that posture, do well to parent and to father? Well, it's simple, isn't it? Be present. Be present. Work for many fathers and mothers, we include there, of course. It can be a real challenge when it comes to time with our children. But as much as we can is being present in the lives of those of us who have children and those who don't, that we still can be those father figures as we have shared so far this morning. However, there is a difference between being around and being present. I can be in the home with my three children and not be present to their needs. Especially as the ages grow and their independence becomes greater, that's just natural. Find it more and more challenging and needing to be more and more intentional and creative in order to be present to them and to their needs. Children without fathers are like ships without a rudder. There's just a sense of just being lost, being away at sea. And a child needs a father to teach them how to read a map. And I mean that metaphorically speaking. But those of you who know me well, I will gladly teach anybody to read a map physically and literally. Just love that. That's for another day. But metaphorically speaking, as fathers, being present in the lives of our weans, we are there to guide and to direct, to point them in the directions and the journey and navigation which is going to take them to the paths of life whilst avoiding and paying particular attention towards guarding those paths of life which will be destructive and will lead to pain and sometimes to death. For me personally, it's about steering our children towards him first and foremost, but also towards building healthy relationships. We must lead and guide and direct. For dads of boys, it is appropriate and right at an appropriate age that we do speak directly on matters of pornography, about what they're viewing, about how they conduct themselves towards one another, and how they conduct themselves towards the opposite sex. If my boys do not see me treat and speak and communicate well to Chantel, to her mum, and towards our little girl well, they must see it. They must see it. Why? Because I'm modeling something towards them and how they will relate to girls. We must create healthy boundaries. Whether For us, this is just where we've landed. Where there's no TV in a bedroom, where phones are left downstairs during the night, where the modem is safety setting is set to high, and that we don't pay for loads of data for their phone to their annoyance. It's just cheaper. 
Don't tell him I said that. Dads, we would do well to speak tenderly and lovingly, but directly and firmly to those of us who have girls about relationships, about protecting themselves, about how they portray themselves, giving similar boundaries in similar ways, but that we would love, that we would cherish, that we would protect them, we would honor them, and so that one day that they would build and form healthy relationships and that they would see something true and good and right and proper from us as they seek for that in a relationship. I realize I've got 10 minutes left and I've got loads to talk about. Um, we'll see. Maybe we'll just do one more and leave the rest maybe for another day. Um, will we do? Yeah, we'll just go in order. Here we go. Secondly then, he's there to save you. Our God is mighty to save. And it's the gospel message, isn't it? Isn't it? It's the gospel. And he has done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Many of us are trying. Let's be honest. We're ticking the boxes. We're keeping the rules. And we're trying to save ourselves, but we can't do it. Only he can do it for us. He did it for us because we couldn't do it for ourselves. And he sent his son, his beloved son, for us. Mighty warrior. Mighty warrior who saves us. As the Egyptian army are pursued, are pursuing the Israelites who have finally fled from their years and years and generations of slavery. They're approaching the Red Sea. They're like, oh my goodness, how are we ever going to get across this sea? They look back and they see the Egyptians have actually changed the deal. They said, yes, you can go, but actually Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, they're after them. The chariots are coming. And they turn and they're like, oh God, what Moses, why did you do this to us? Why have you brought us out of this place? We would have been better as slaves. Take us back, take us back. Moses says to his people, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And there are people here this morning, that word is going to be a great encouragement to you. He will fight for you. Mighty warrior there to save. How should we, Father, in a similar way? That we are there to protect. We are there to save. We are there to look out for. And sometimes, you know, there's a distinction between how much we should do and how much we shouldn't do. A little example. Occasionally, I was going to say quite often, that would be unfair. Occasionally, children forget something for school. They don't pack it. And because of mobile technology, they're able to send us a little text message. I can see you smiling. Uh, I forgot my fill-in-the-gap, PE kit, French book, calculator, whatever it might be. Can you bring it in? What do you think we do? when we get that text message. 
Most of the time we cave in. Why? Because we love them. Because we don't want them to get a punishment. We don't want to see them get a little bit of extra work or a detention. And we got a message last week from one of our offspring. See, we can protect their identity because there's two of them. (laughs) There's actually three, but there's only two that have got phones yet. Can you bring in my, and not say what it was, and Chantelle and I, we're just into work and we're kind of getting ourselves organized. And I was like, I've had this message from, what should we do? And I'm like, blow it. I'm not going, I'm not going back to the house. I'm not getting it. I'm, they can, Chantelle was much more motherly. <laughs> oh, but we, uh, he'll get into trouble. And, I was, and my, this is it. I just said, they need, they need to learn. They need to learn. If there is a consequence, extra work, well, then they have to suffer that and learn. And that's often the way, isn't it, in parenting? Sometimes we have to bail them out and save and rescue. And sometimes actually it's just more loving to let them take it on the chin. Because if we just continue to bail them out, there's no growth and there's no love in that. So there's a little bit of a, 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 a fine line sometimes. 